I'm meant to be thinking positively, but it actually dampened my spiritual connection and journey and connection with the melancholy that actually made me the dancer and artist that I was. So life kind of kept giving me people close to me that passed and different things to crack me open into because I found when I, when grief came or loss came, I was immediately connected with my longing. And so life kind of showed me this is not wrong or bad. This is actually a beautiful part of you that helps you dance and create. Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Well, today we have a very special, different kind of episode I am joined by Rachel, also known as Sat Siri, who is one of my teachers and mentors. I'm a part of her online yoga membership and where I have really fallen deeply in love is her book clubs. So she holds this incredible space where every, you know, about two months, we go through a different book together and the sense of community and connection has just become one of my deepest spaces for exploration and healing and really understanding what I'm feeling. And these books are just like right up my alley. So this latest book we just finished was called Bittersweet by Susan Cain. And I love this book. This book has changed my life. And bittersweet is definitely one of the emotions that we are going to cover with Atlas of the Heart. So I thought perfect to have Rachel on and also Jill and Erica, who were a part of the book club. And so we can discuss what bittersweet means to all of us. So if you don't know what bittersweet is, Brene's definition is bittersweet is a mixed feeling of happiness and sadness. And Susan's definition is a tendency to states of longing, poignancy, and sorrow, an acute awareness of passing time, and a curiously piercing joy at the beauty of the world. The bittersweet is also about the recognition that light and dark, birth and death, bitter and sweet are forever paired. So some moments of bittersweet would be watching your child grow up, dropping them off at kindergarten, leaving a job, a divorce or ending of a relationship can be both bitter and sweet, graduating, letting go of friendships that aren't working, moving, death of a loved one, teachers watching students graduate, retiring, coming home from vacation. So my first question to all of you is, are there any other moments of bittersweetness that you can think of to add to that list? What is a moment that sticks out to you as both bitter and sweet? For as long as I can remember, the end of summer has always been bittersweet for me. We grew up going to our cottage, spent the summer in bathing suits and flip-flops, 
And I would cry at the end of every summer. We would make the 15 minute drive back to our house. (laughs) It wasn't even that far. And as soon as I got back to the house, uh, I was happy and all my friends were around. But the ending of summer and the start of the fall is always bittersweet for me. I love that, Jill. Totally resonate with that, Jill. Yeah. You know, this book has helped me realize how much I'm in this state in my life. But presently, I would say I'm always experiencing it with teacher trainings that I run, with week-long retreats, with the ends of book clubs. Every time I'm holding this space and part of this space where such deep connection and such deep sharing, tears, laughter, present, ending it, finishing it, fills me with so much delight and joy and and nourishment. And at the same time, oh, it's over. Just for, for this chapter, like these people coming together for this time and sharing with each other is over. And it was amazing and beautiful. And we'll never have it exactly like that again. So I think the more even I'm in the present moment, the more I feel the bittersweetness of it all because I'm present to, wow, this was amazing and deep and rich and beautiful. And now it's ending and now we'll go on to something else. So in my work with holding space for all of these different things, I'm kind of in that space a lot. And I only really have acknowledged that through the process of this, but all located it through the process of reading this book. Mm. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah, that that's it. That's bittersweet. I think the last time I felt bittersweet was when we finished our book club last week. I think um, mm. it was a challenging book. It had its moments that were so challenging for me emotionally and so forth. But then it was so tender and so warm and so cozy. I think I'd describe it at the same time. And I felt like our group was so strong of women and so supportive that I think that that really warmed my heart. And I think just really going deep into the bitter was challenging, but healing. So it was very, very, I kind of needed about a week to just decompress after our book club, but it was all for good reasons. So, yeah. That's a perfect way of summing up the experience. So many, I had sent this book club to a couple other people that I thought should be in this group. And they were like, yeah, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to go there. And one friend I messaged and I was like, okay, like you do need to read this book at some point. It's interesting, the resistance to going into the bitter. How did you all score on the bittersweet quiz? So I'll put a link to it in the show notes that you can do through Susan Kane's website, but there is a quiz to determine how much you are in the bittersweet or more on the happy side of things. I definitely am bitter. I knew I was bittersweet, but I was like way bittersweet. <laughs> I was I was reading the quiz. I was like, oh yeah, that's me. Yep. How'd everybody else do on the quiz? So high over here too. <laughs> Uh, it was just like when I was reading it, I was like, this is to me, most like deeply sensitive people. Do you cry at movies? Do you, you know, ah, feel the melancholy of a rainy day? Do you, you know, I was like, yes, 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 yes. So I was super high. Mm-hmm. 
Joe, where were you on this quiz? <laughs> I took the quiz and if we weren't doing this in book club, I wouldn't have finished reading this book because I'm like, no, I don't feel, I don't like to listen to sad songs. I don't like rainy days to me are just an opportunity to like bake and do fun things inside. Like I would never call myself melancholy. And I would never stop and examine bittersweetness if we hadn't done this book club. Are you glad that you explored it? So I know you would have stopped reading this if you could have, if you weren't doing it in community. So are you glad that you read the book? Yes, I'm glad I read the book. However, I think I told you guys it felt like going to the dentist. So <laughs> that it was a bit of a chore. Yeah, because it was looking at uncomfortable things for me. I don't embrace the bittersweetness of things. I, I want to run away from it. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And there is no right or wrong. Wherever you go on the quiz, whether you tend to be more on the happy side of things or more on the melancholic or bittersweet side of things, there is no right or wrong. We just It's good to know this about our personalities, where we kind of live. How'd you do, Erica? I was surprised. I, I really scored in the middle where I thought I would be more on the happier, upbeat because I don't like the other feelings, but I think I went to a real honest place when I took the quiz. So I do cry in commercials at times, especially hormonally. <laughs> and I go, oh my God, I do um, like sad songs. I do, I think, uh, yeah. And I, do, I mean, a lot of it, I scored right in the middle. So that was kind of surprising for me. I didn't think that. And I also just really dove into this book, not wanting to do it, being a little on edge, but really glad in the end I did go to those places because I did feel just a lot calmer within. Hmm. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to do this in this style with different points of view, because we all really experience bittersweet in different ways. So one of my favorite facts that came out of this book was Susan says, people whose favorite songs are happy, listen to them about 175 times on average. But those who favor bittersweet songs, listen to them almost 800 times. Can you relate to this? And do you have any songs? And so there is actually a playlist on Spotify, which I'll also link in the show notes. Susan Kane has created a bittersweet playlist, which I just love, right? Jill probably will never listen to this playlist, but I've listened to it many times. And right on it, my favorite song in the world is Landslide. And that was like, you know, song two or song three. And I'm like, this is so me. And that is a song that I connect to my dad with and his passing. And it is a song that no matter where I hear it, I stop and I tear up. Are there any songs for you? Or do you tend to just listen to more of the happy songs? Are there any songs that are described bittersweet to you? Yeah, it's funny. I was only just reflecting a couple of days ago how we know this bittersweet quality even when we're children. And there was this song. I don't think they were popular in the US. There was this band called 1927, and they were really popular in the UK and in Australia. And they had this 
song called If I Could. If I could paint, I'd paint a portrait of you. It was so melancholy, like about tears, about the pain of separation. And I was like 11 or 12 and with my pink double-decker cassette recorder, I would listen to that song over and over and over again. And I was like, I didn't know the pain of like love and then loss, you know, intimate relationship, but I certainly knew it with grief and with death around me. So that's one that I just used to listen to obsessively. As I got older, hallelujah, you know, Leonard Cohen's, I really love the Jeff Buckley version. Sometimes as I prepared as a dancer for a show, I would just listen to that song over and over again. And it was sort of moved that emotion through me. And because I got into ballet at such a young age, I think classical music did it for me. You know, listening to Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet, that just goes so deep into your heartstrings and Debussy and Bach air. So, so many of those. But oh, yeah, I think like the melancholy love songs and the melancholy songs, Landslide, definitely. Yes, I'm listening to those like 80% of the time. Mm, me too. No, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I saw in the book that she had the link to this playlist. And I'm like, no thanks. I'm not looking that up. I feel all the feelings, but I don't need music to bring me there. So I don't like having music on. If I'm home alone, I like it to be quiet. When I'm in the car, I like more upbeat things, but I don't go to music to stir an emotion in me. And I remember being a kid and my sister was going through a breakup and she played Journey that it was a tape back then over and over again. So every time I hear that, it's palpable that feeling of loss that she had. So it brings up yucky memories, you know, when those are so classic songs. But to me, it just, I could still feel her sadness about that breakup. So yeah, to me, that is not a fun thing to go to that playlist. Mm-hmm. We hear you, Jill. I, for some reason, every time I see, I could, I definitely could relate. I didn't even look at her playlist because at the time I didn't even want to see it. I just didn't want to go there yet. I could look at it now, but when I first started the book, I was like, no, no, no. But anytime I see performers like dancers, Broadway, just a performance always triggers that for me. For some reason, it's it just, I think it takes me back to my childhood, just seeing people up on stage performing. Always really just, I can feel it in my heart, my chest, my eyes start to well up. Any performance that I ever see, it can be a, uh, just a performance with one person or it can be a full Broadway play. I just, it really triggers me emotionally. And also Maxwell, Woman's World. My friends and I, when we were going through breakups in high school, we would cry and cry and cry and listen to that song over and over and over. So that was really one that I could relate to. But yeah, so I'm open to it. (laughs) I think about, you know, kids nowadays, it's so much easier for them to listen to a song on repeat. And I was like, you guys brought me back to a breakup that was like, you know, in middle school where you actually don't go anywhere. It's 
probably was with my now husband would be my guess. We like, we were boyfriend and girlfriend and, you know, like fourth and eighth grade and that time where we didn't, you didn't actually go anywhere. <laughs> you just passed notes. And I can remember listening to this Kathy Dennis, which probably no one even know, remembers who she is. I'll have to find the song. And it was in on the Walkman, right? So you'd have to like listen to the tape and then rewind it and then go over and over. It was so much more work back then to listen to the same song a hundred times in a row. But yeah, mm-hmm. every single breakup in my life, definitely I can go back to a song that helped me through that. Christina Aguilera, I think like Fighter, that was one in like, co- yeah. that was a college breakup for me, but just feeling it. And I love that you guys are sharing that all of these, there's so many different moments that can bring up the emotions to us, you know, whether it be through a movie or a performance or dance, music, a commercial, whatever that nature, a sunset, rainbows, right? Whatever that is. And I'm also finding for myself that when I'm in more deeply emotional and like a personally emotional time, right? There's times in our lives where we are feeling the emotions more and more during those periods. Like I'm currently in one right now where my emotions are just so close to the surface. So I find that what I watch right now, I'm re-watching New Girl. And like, it's just funny. I just laugh. So that's, you know, I've already watched the series twice through. This will be my third time watching it. But when I'm in a moment like this, I actually don't want to watch things that are going to bring up more emotion because I've already got so much of it going on. So I kind of like similar to what Jill was saying, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to access that right now. So I'll go the opposite direction. But then there's times in my life where I'm like, I just need a really good cry. So I'm going to watch The Notebook. Do you guys experience that as well? Absolutely. I hate The Notebook for that reason. (laughs) It accesses too much. It's like, it's all always there. So why do I need to watch a movie to access that? You can just Mm -hmm. stop and think about something for a few minutes and it will access. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's no mistake why. I mean, many different shows, but Shit's Creek was so popular during the pandemic because, you know, just this formula and mostly like uplifting and then sometimes pulled on your heartstrings. And I noticed, oh, there's such a relief in watching something again, the predictability of I know how it's going to go. And there's such, feels like there's such a kind of stress relief in that but oh my gosh absolutely I'm a love you know when I want to have a cry yeah a movie a tv show oh my gosh it just can trigger me so beautifully Mm. yeah all right now we have to talk about longing which is a big part of this book so the sorrow and the longing Susan says longing is momentum in disguise Longing is momentum in disguise. It's active, not passive. Touched with the creative, the tender, and the divine. We long for something or someone. We reach for it. We move towards it. What has longing meant to you? This has come up a lot in my life lately. My 20th, it's actually going to be my 21st year um, high school reunion, but because of COVID, it was canceled last year. So That is next week. And 
I being that and coupled with like the back to school and all of these pictures of these families, like putting their kids on the bus stirred up so much longing for me. So I have been trying to conceive and have been on this very long fertility journey. And this is where I just am deeply experiencing the longing and the sorrow that it hasn't happened for me yet. So it's like being faced with all of these pictures, which I love and I want to see also created this feeling of so much longing for me. And how this is paired with my high school reunion was like, it was only lasted like maybe a day or two, but I went into that place of comparison and was like, you know, I'm going to show up there. And what have I done with my life? Like, what have I done thus far? Like, I don't have, you know, the children to like show up and, you know, be showing pictures of, and like, this is my family and all this. And like, when I'm met with these moments, nine out of 10 times I start showing pictures of my dog, which like is my experience of this moment. Right. And my husband and I, we both went to the same high school. So we're both going to be going to this reunion. And it's like, there was a couple of days where I'm like, do I want to go because of that longing that still is so present in my life. And I was able to move through it by just really allowing myself to feel it. And recognizing that there's also moments in time for me where I shouldn't be on Facebook and shouldn't be on Instagram when the longing turns more into that comparison and can feel can leave me feeling a little empty. So I'm I'm now much more conscious of of those moments when I'm like, okay, I need to to back off from it. But yes, I deeply feel longing towards having children and having a family and creating that. And I also, how this is so bittersweet to me and how this book almost gave me validation in the sense, not even validation, like more acceptance, more acceptance towards myself in my longing and the feelings that I have of the longing because I also feel that I am going to be so much better of a mother than I was going to be five years ago when I started this journey, because I've become so present to the kind of mother that I want to become. And there's such this level of consciousness around it. And I'm five years older, right? And have been on this journey of self-awareness and personal development and all of that. So I would love to know what longing means to you and how you make meaning from it? Just a small question. (laughs) Just a little one. Just as you were talking, the thing that I definitely have spent the last few years longing for was I left a corporate job nine to five, which was never nine to five, but I was always longing for freedom and flexibility in my work schedule. I would be jealous of people that could take a random afternoon off or could go on vacation for more than a week at a time that didn't carry a cell phone that rang 24 hours a day. So there was this longing to be more in control of my work-life balance that took a lot, you know, you can't ignore a longing. You either have to process it or deal with it or do something about it. So I, you know, that longing 
could not be quieted, especially when I'm married to an entrepreneur that has that flexibility. I'm like, man, this corporate life is not working well for me. So I made the hard, which, you know, was bittersweet to leave the corner office, to leave the status, to leave the title, to leave the money, to then pursue life as an entrepreneur, which has its own challenges some days. But the thing that I was longing for was that flexibility. And now I have it. So yeah, I think longing needs to be, you need to pay attention to whatever you're longing for and do something. Be creative, but to do something with it. Mm, Thank you, Jill. Yeah, that's the longing is the momentum in disguise, right? Like for me doing IVF, like never in a million years did I see myself. I've had so much medical trauma in my life. I never thought I would go to a doctor willingly by my choice and then do a surgery willingly, all of that. It's the momentum. The longing is what has fueled me to have the courage to take the action. Thank you for bringing that up in that way. One of the aspects that I've really realized over the years, one of the beautiful aspects of the longing, just like she says, you know, in line with the momentum part, is it hadn't been clear to me just how much you need or you're called by your longing to live any kind of spiritual life or conscious life. Really, if you look at the poets like Rumi, they're all talking about that longing for the divine, that longing for connection, that longing for coming back home to yourself, to God, to nature, to universal intelligence, whatever you believe that is, and that longing to feel whole again and not separate from everything and everyone. So I think I, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, when positive thinking started to get so big, I read the the power of positive thinking and all the Norman Vincent Peale things and the Louise Hay things. And I think I tried to cure myself of my longing, thinking that, oh, I'm meant to just be thinking positively all the time. And I think so many of us have gone on different journeys of that, of, oh, little girls are meant to be happy and not complain or not sad. Mine definitely was, oh, I'm meant to be thinking positively, but it actually dampened my spiritual connection and journey and connection with the melancholy that actually made me the dancer and artist that I was. So life kind of kept giving me people close to me that passed and different things to crack me open into because I found when when grief came or loss came, I was immediately connected with my longing. And so life kind of showed me this is not wrong or bad. This is actually a beautiful part of you that helps you dance and create. And then I even feel like my longing to break from the prison of putting the positive thinking on top of longing, wanting to share honestly, that has fueled the work that I do now where we can sit together and tell each other the truth and we don't have to go into those false perceptions of, oh, I'm only lovable if I'm positive in every moment. I'm only lovable or accepted if I'm happy and fine all the time. Wow, these people actually love me and maybe even love me more when I share the depth of my heart 
when I stay with the sadness, when I stay. And I think I was longing for groups of people, for connection with people to tell the truth and especially women coming together to tell the truth and to share that and not shy away from it, that that longing has actually created a life that I didn't know was possible. Oh, thank you for weaving the spirituality in, into it because I, I experienced that longing myself. And yeah, that is the magic of your groups. And I'm just reminded by you know, the story that Brene Brown shares about her daughter going through a really challenging moment in school and she gets home and she's, you know, sitting in her room in complete darkness. And Brene's first instinct is to like go in the room, which this is all of our first instinct to go in the room, turn the light on and be like, let's go get an ice cream, right? Like, let's turn that frown upside down. Like that is what our culture says to do in those moments. And the truth is that Rachel can only hold this space for all of us because she's so comfortable with her own sorrow, her own longing, all of that. So it's the more uncomfortable thing to do, which Brene shares is to sit in the dark, sit next to your person and just be there and hold that space. And that's what Rachel does for us. And that's why these groups that she creates are so powerful because I, as somebody who's been in you know multiple book clubs now, I know that I can go there and I can share the messiest parts and there is no shame, there's no judgment, and there is no need to put a bow on it. And I think that you are the first person to ever allow that space for me to not need to put a bow on something. Because I was very, you know, I've had places where I could bring my sorrow and bring, you know, bring some of the pain, but to be able to come there and not make it, okay, this is the hero's journey. And here we are at the end of it. Because the majority of our lives is the messy middle, is the act two. And so it's a really, we're so lucky to have this experience with you. And I will I will put links in the show notes of how you can connect with Rachel if this sounds like a space that you need for your messiest emotions. Is there Thank anything you, you want to add? I just, oh, oh no, yeah. I just want to say one thing um, so that people know, like I didn't pop out like this. Like, I think that's what I'm trying to convey that this space <laughs> that I can hold now is hard one. As in, I too so long thought it was not okay to share when I was sad, share when I was angry, share when I was in pain. I would think I was the queen of happy and fine all the time and everything else go away and experience it alone and don't share it with anybody and then get yourself together and then come back out into the world mm-hmm. and share yourself when you're happy and fine again. So I just want to say it's, um, yes, I can hold this space for other people so well. And, but that's because it used to be so uncomfortable for me and I've had to do, my journey has been doing so much work to be okay with it myself and then hold that space for others, which when you know that, when something has been so hard for you, I feel like it oh, it gives me so much relief when I get the feedback, as you just said, that I'm able to do that. I remember one friend of mine that I went on a hike with and she just was in so much pain and the end of her marriage and, oh my gosh, what was going on was just so painful. 
And we got to the end of the hike and she just looked at me and she said, tears just were pouring down her face. And she said, thank you. No one's ever stayed with me before. Like, like I was ugly, what I said. It was so full of rage. It was so full of pain. And you just stayed with me. And no one has ever done that before. Usually people are afraid of my anger or of my, you know, negative thoughts. And when I drove away from that hike, I had that kind of location of, oh, I've healed enough to be able to, that that's not scary for me. I think we're taught somehow when we're young, oh, I'm going to catch that person's anger or I'm going to catch that person's sadness or I'm going to take it on or something. And yeah, so. I just want to say I wasn't born with some gifts that this just happened naturally. This is through deep, deep work that I can hold this. Erica, is there anything you want to add to longing? Um, I mean, I've kind of enjoyed listening to Rachel and Jill listening to everything they were saying. I'm kind of tagging on, but yeah, I, I mean, longing was definitely an emotion that I was very uncomfortable with, but as we went along in the book club, I really went to that place of uncomfortable and explored it. And I think what I realized when we were done is that longing builds a lot of confidence because it gets, you get to know yourself a lot deeper than you did before. So, yeah. I love that. Thank you. And Rachel touched on the toxic positivity. So Susan Cain shares that bittersweet can be read as an antidote to a culture of toxic positivity. Do you think this term accurately describes our culture? And if so, how does a bittersweet lens help to counter the pressure to always be positive no matter what? And I think we were kind of all touching on this in different ways. This is what our culture, our culture has made happiness as the desired destination for everything, right? Like you just have to be happy and put on that happy face and, you know, smile. All of these just get over it kind of moments. And I feel like I have tried that on for a long time to really be presenting to the world only my happiness. and. And or if I was to present the world with my challenges, it's always painted in the light of, well, this good thing came out of it, right? Which I do think is a part of our process of making meaning out of the bittersweetness. But I can't do that in a way of bypassing what it is I'm really feeling. And I've been so present to that of course, like the fertility journey brings that up because I experience it every single month, right? The grief, the letdown of not becoming pregnant. And I also coach women for the fertility center. And so I met with a lot of their longing, disappointment as well. And just this idea of bypassing what it is we're really feeling to get there. And I think that's a part of the toxic positivity. Like, I think that's a part of our experience as a culture and this, this desire to always be presenting to be happy. So if anything, what I loved about reading this book was like permission to just be bittersweet, permission to feel the sadness and move from the bitter to the sweetness and find the sweetness in it, of course, but like permission for the bitterness. 
Does anyone have anything they want to share about toxic positivity or how it relates to the bittersweet? I would say I find people toxically fake as opposed to toxically positive. And just as you watch those renovation shows on TV, they fast forward through all the mess. So if that's what sells, that's what people continue to buy, that you can have a kitchen renovated in, you know, 45 minutes and you see none of the mess. So people are filling themselves up on those things because they're scared to take a deep dive into a book like this and do the actual work because this book for me was uncomfortable from start to finish because to take time every day to mourn something or to talk about something that makes you uncomfortable or makes you cry or makes you sad. It's like, that's very necessary. But we live in a fast culture, a world that we want to see pretty things. And we want things to be we want our kitchen renovated in 45 minutes. So I do think that you have to be so careful about what you consume the books you consume, the social media you consume, the shows you watch, the people you hang out with. Because if everybody is fast forwarding through the hard stuff, that just becomes the norm. But if you can stop and say, what am I learning from this? How am I growing from this? And what's the beauty in it? And by the end of this bittersweet book, I realized I need to be making time all the time to actively mourn something, something that's sad or tragic or a loss, a longing. So I toxically positive. I think there's a lot of toxically fake people and we're so lucky in our book club to not have that. Not a pretty bow at the end of everything. So. I'm not sure if that answered your question, but no, that's perfect. That this is the world of social media. This is why when you're feeling depressed, sad, whatever you're feeling, and then you go on social media and you're only seeing the happy highlight reel of someone's life. Yeah. That's why it leaves us feeling less connected, right? We think we're going there for this fake sort of connection that doesn't exist because we're only seeing that, right? No, I love that, Jill. I loved when you brought that up, that one session of, yeah, toxically fake, because it is whatever, it's the mask of pretense, right? That then you can't, you can't connect with the person because there's this mask in between you. And I think if only we would, each and every one of us could know, oh, when I lay the mask down, look at the depth of connection that I actually get sadness, loss, melancholy, telling the truth about our vulnerabilities is what connects us is the thing that is so ultimately human. And we're trying to do this tap dance that it's not happening to me. Oh, it's happening to everybody else somehow. I was coaching this lady the other day and she's in the movie industry. And she said, oh gosh, I realize I have been holding that compassionate space for everybody else to have bad days, to have sad days, to have angry days. 
but oh God, the way that I gaslight myself that I'm not allowed to. I have to be the warrior every day, exactly the same, like this every day, which is so inhumane, isn't it? To expect that we could be like a robot. I mean, we even know technology. We all know now with Zoom, it has problems all the time. It doesn't run smoothly all the time. But as human beings, we're meant to fluctuate. We're not meant to be like the sun just shining all of the time. And we all, in our different ways, have done a disservice to ourselves of not allowing, you know, Leonard Cohen, the most famous saying, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And we can hear that or know that and go, oh, no, 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 not me, though, not me, (laughs) everybody else. But when we start to allow it, we're like, oh, you too, you too, you too. And we realize actually how similar we are rather than different. Mm, That's beautiful. The real parts of connection, right? Vulnerability, allowing us that space. And there is an inherent vulnerability with bittersweetness. Mm -hmm. And there's this piece to bittersweet, which the connecting with what matters and taking committed action moves us from bitter to sweet. So how we can take the really sad experiences and make meaning from it, take us from loss to love. Everyone experiences loss. It's a part of our human condition. So how have you moved from bitter to sweet? For me, I think my first experience with this was my dad died when I was five. So it was it truly shaped my life and my experience of having a deep empathy for others who experience loss. Like I think from a really early age, I knew what that loss felt like for me. And so I always wanted to be there for other people when they were in that experience. And as I grew up, it started to show itself in all different ways. And when I built my wedding photography business, by the time I was probably halfway through that career, so I was probably like maybe six, seven years into it, I started marketing only to brides, like the tagline on my website, like you would come to my website. And the first thing you would see was like, I believe that all of our loved ones are with us on our wedding day, whether they're physically there or or spiritually. I don't remember the exact tagline, but it was something to imply like, I am the wedding photographer for you. If you have someone you love who is not physically at your wedding, but you believe or you want to believe that they're spiritually there, like that is the wedding photographer who I became. I cut my business in half, right? Like I lost half of the clients that I would typically have, but it was more in alignment with who I truly was. And oh, I had this one wedding. We, the groom's dad had passed away, and we were at this place where it was there were tons of windows behind the head table and where the bride and groom were sitting. And so we're doing the speeches and all of a sudden this deer walks up to the window and is like right behind the groom. And I'm like getting pictures of it. And like the bride and groom, like look back and they kind of see it. And then the guests are starting to see this moment happening. Right. The groom comes up to me after, and he says, did you get that? Did you get the deer? And I said, of course I got the deer. And he said, that was my dad. 
And I was like, of course it was your dad. Like, that's how you know I was the wedding photographer for you because there was no, nothing lost in translation, right? That like, Mm. I was your wedding photographer. If if you needed somebody who knew that that deer was your dad at your wedding, absolutely. So that was one of the ways that I started to not only make meaning, you know, my dad's death made me a better person, made me a more empathetic person. Do I wish I didn't have to go through that? Absolutely. But it also helped me become who I am. And a part of my process is to also then share it with the world. That's why I struggle with my own fertility and I'm a fertility coach, right? helping other women. That's a part of who I am. And I just have to be careful that I'm not bypassing any of my own emotions. So I have to make sure that I'm in the right place when I get there. But that's how I move from loss to love, helping other people, sharing my vulnerable moments, sharing harder things on Facebook and Instagram in a world where it's just positive. I try to share the real. I try to share the middle, the messy middle. Are there any ways that you have transformed your loss to love, the bitter to the sweet? Yeah. I was single until 40, found the right guy. And at the exact time that I find the right guy, I start going through menopause. So I had to mourn never having children. Like, why did this happen at this point? Like, that was bittersweet to the nth degree to go, I'm still young enough. But then for some reason, like, why did I go into menopause at that age, that stage? So I had to do a lot of mourning of the babies I would never have. And every Reiki session or psychic or anyone that I've ever been to my whole life has always told me, there's lots of children around you. There's always this mothering, like, you're so good with kids. You're so, so I definitely, that was a real difficult one to have to get over. But at the exact same time, I've got a stepdaughter, like right in front of me when I'm trying to mourn, like not being a mother, you're like, wait a second, there's an opportunity right here. And I'm surrounded by my nieces and nephews who guess who their favorite aunt is, the one that has all the time for them. So at my wedding, all of my nieces and nephews got up and delivered a speech. And you go, oh, right, my reach is a lot further because of the time I have to make an impact on all these little lives that I wouldn't have if I was so busy with my own kids. So that is always a challenge to get over stuff like that. But it is bittersweet. And it is the life that you have. And I had to do the work and mourn the losses and embrace the ones that are right in front of me. Thank you. I immediately teared up during that story. That's me (laughs) and my bittersweetness. Thank you, Jill. So beautiful, Jill. Yeah, so true. 
And Meg, I never knew that about you and your photography business. Oh my gosh, I'm putting it down to that niche that I hadn't heard that story before. That is amazing and so apt and so you and in alignment. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah, gosh. I mean, I have, it's like, which story do I draw from? I feel like so many. But one very surprising one for me was that I lost one of my best girlfriends very quickly. She um, fainted and hit her head right at the brainstem and was gone, gosh, almost about nine years ago when Prem was just a baby. And it was so devastating because the shock of it happening so fast. And we had been roommates in the ballet for so many years, and she was like my little sister. Anyway, long story short, my friends kind of voted for me to say the eulogy at her funeral and I just bawled like while I was saying it I didn't even I don't know how I even got the words out but a few days later I started to get filled with like this peace and this I would say sweetness that has lasted since then I won't say I don't miss her at all I won't say the sadness isn't there sometimes but I I think I felt the pain and the loss and the shock so heavily and deeply at the cutting short of her life that then it moved me into such gratitude for having had this. I now understand that she was one of my soulmates, which I didn't really get before this experience that a friend, um, not an intimate partner, could actually be one of your soulmates that taught you how to love to give love, to receive love. I think it was because her sister went through her things and sent me all these letters that I had sent to her when we were touring in different places. And we just told each other. And so then I went through mine and found hers that she'd sent to me. And we just told each other how much we loved each other and believed in each other all the time. And there just was so much mutual love and respect and laughter and that I feel so blessed and so lucky that from such extreme anguish and pain and loss to now, like I can feel it even talking about her, I feel so full of love that I got to have that friendship and that connection and that sisterhood that maybe some people never get to have. So that's a massive one for me that I know some of my friends are still don't feel any of the sweetness about it. And of course, some of her family. So I just feel so lucky that I've moved into this place of such gratitude and such love about it. So that's a massive one for me. Mm, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think probably what I can remember as being really bittersweet was I suffered with anxiety starting as of a couple, probably about, almost three years ago. And it was so challenging and difficult and terrifying at the same time, kind of came out of the blue, but I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I hadn't, which is what made me reconnect with Rachel, made me come end up at these coming to book clubs, getting my Kundalini teacher training with Rachel. I think I wouldn't be where I'm at today had I not been through that. So I think when that happened, it was my body and myself knowing that I needed to find a more healthier path for myself and learning how to 
calm down and slow down and breathe and just be okay with myself and learn to get comfortable with longing, learning to dive into things much deeper than I had probably wanted to. So I think the anxiety, as much as it was so challenging and is a challenge every single day, had that not happened, I wouldn't be where I'm at with myself and my spirituality and my connection and surrounded by such wonderful women such as yourselves. So, yeah. Thank you, Erica. And from getting to know you through these book clubs, it's, I think, also where I receive from you a deep empathy for the anxiety I experience, right? And having those emotions, it's like, that's a part of how you can hold that space because you connect with it in that way as well. And you, you've done your own healing and have your own journey with it, not being afraid of it. Well, thank you all so much for this conversation. If you would like to join our next book club, it is The Body Keeps the Score and it starts the week that this podcast will come out. I'll put links in the show notes. You can connect with Rachel at Satsiri on Instagram or satsiri.mykajabi.com is her website. And I'll, I'll put all those links below. But yeah, the next book, not going to be an easy walk in the park. I've already signed up for it. I've already read parts of it. The body keeps the score, which is just so important to where we are. And I love to always leave us with a quote. So from Bittersweet, one of my favorite quotes from Susan Cain is, whatever pain you can't get rid of, make it your creative offering. So thank you all for joining today. Thank you, Meg. So happy to be here with you all. Thank you for inviting us, Meg. Thank you. It was fun. It was great. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study... I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's Voices Amplified.